the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober with Alex and Lisa. Season three is sponsored by IPHM, an accreditation board for holistic therapists and training providers around the world. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hello again. Hi. This is the second time that we've actually done a podcast today, but not the second time it's going to go out today. So I shouldn't really have said hello again, should I? Well, you could because people might just think we're wearing the same stuff. Oh, good point. Two weeks on the run. Yeah. But you know what? This podcast that we've got now is actually really good timing from the one that they will have heard last week. It really is, actually. Yeah, good thinking, Alex. I know, because last week we had on Laura and Tom Bolts, the mother and son. I know, but today it was so fresh for you and me because it's today. But last week, that's what it was for our listeners. And now... It might be fresh for binge listeners. Oh, it could be. But now (laughs) we're going (laughs) to... Do you think we've got binge listeners? (laughs) I'm, I would be a binge listener. I was a binge drinker. I'm a binge shopper. I'm a binge eater. I'm a binge watcher. So I don't watch anything. And then I watch like a whole series in a day and then nothing for months. So a podcast, I'm definitely a binge listener too. You're just a binge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big binge, whinging binge. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of the word that rhymes with binge now. (laughs) It was you. Well, obviously. The word for the woman's vagina. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't like accidentally come out with that. What, that you're a bingy minge? That's so gross. (laughs) Do you know, like, if anyone from America, if they're listening, they're going to be wondering what on earth we're talking about. Because like, that's we not, not a worldwide word. <laughs> just, go, just Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> anyway. Oh, duck, duck, go. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on duck, duck, go. That's Lisa's search engine because it doesn't spy on you. <laughs> no, it gives you real stuff. That, that, yeah, oh yeah, it's not spyware, is it? It's that it tells you everything and not just Google approved stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Don't, don't go. Go. But anyway, <laughs> not sponsored by them, by the way. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, last on the one you've heard last, whether it's last week or two minutes ago, we had Laura and Tom Bolts on, and they're a mother and son. Both recovered um, alcoholic and, and clean. Tom's clean from uh, painkillers and other drugs. Jen, who we're going to be interviewing in a minute isn't recovering or recovered, but she's actually um, a child of an alcoholic. And we met her through the volunteer training that we did with Nicoa. And I've just spent the last seven weeks actually working with Jen because she helped train up the next round of volunteer speakers and helpline workers. And she's got a lovely, it's not a lovely story. She's lovely. It's a sad story, but she's just amazing. And I can't wait for everybody to hear her story should we just let her straight in like now while we're live because she's there waiting yeah let let her in in. while we're letting her in i just thought we'd say about triggers so there's going to be some numbers for helplines in the bio of this podcast as well jen's coming in right now so anyone who's doing the listening bit and not the watchy bit i'm talking about it because you can't see that she's arriving and she doesn't know yet but i'm hoping she can hear us that she's muted because then she'll unmute and then we'll be able to say hello but we'll just wait ah hi jen yeah. <laughs> hi jen 
<laughs> we just did the full like audio description of you. That was a into good audio description, that Alex. I am really, really impressed. Well done. I feel like back. I see. Oh yeah, you'll have to listen. Oh, I don't know if you want to listen to that intro, Jen. <laughs> was, as long as it was good things, I'm happy with that. Your bit was good things, but then there was a whole conversation beforehand that just did not need to be said. To be fair, oh. <laughs> I'll let you listen. No, I now. <laughs> we don't edit. Going back. <laughs> so I was just saying, actually, that we've spent the last seven weeks working together, anyway, haven't we? So we've seen yeah. lots of each other. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've had a, a great time with Nakoa, and we've been getting involved with the training with the new volunteers and it's been it's been amazing and it's been it's been a really good process because I've been able to then introduce myself to be sober as well so it's been a successful experience all around really. Did you find that training this time round, hearing it for the second time completely different like I know it was exactly the same training but it felt like it went in more this time. <laughs> yeah I think I think it's it's worth doing it, but I think because the second time round, you're not having to really concentrate on the content as much because you've done it so you're really your your mind is more focused on what everyone else is saying and getting more involved in the conversations rather than thinking about the the content itself. Yeah, I enjoyed um, it. It was good to do, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was really nice, and it was. It was just good to be to feel a part of something again, because you, you know, these types of charities. If you're a volunteer or if you're a part of something like Be Sober, you have to have the passion, um, and I think that's what drives you know organisations like this forward. So I think to be part of it is just yeah, it's amazing, yeah. and meeting guys like yourselves. Do you know what? The- well, not guys, you can't say guys. I watched your um, podcast, your live yesterday with Sober Dave, and he got hold of saying guys. Yeah, we've decided that you can say guys. Yeah, we okay. Are. okay. Jeez, if you listen back, you want to hear what we just said, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the worst of it. The number of times that we have had to actually edit podcasts in the beginning, usually because of me putting my foot in it yeah believe um, it or not because like I think people think that was the other way around <laughs> no it's usually me because I don't know things right so we've talked about this before but was it Alan Carr Is that who it was? yeah yeah Sorry. was it Alan Carr Lisa, that I talked about oh yes it was yeah on I was thinking of the comedian Alan Carr but you talk, you're talking about like the quit smoking quit drinking Alan Carr I didn't yes. know there was a comedian called Alan Carr. I thought that was someone else completely. There is, isn't there? Is it a comedian that not- Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Do you know Alan Carr? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the author, Alan Carr, the very first time we put our, I put my foot in it, I didn't edit it because I thought it's not a massive deal. We'll just put it out there. And my husband listened back to it and was like, mm, you can't leave that in there, Alex. Basically, what I did was I said to Lisa, oh, we'll get him on our podcast. And then Lisa said... Alex, that's impossible. He's he's not alive anymore. And instead of kind of just moving on and being like, you know, I'm not going to do it again for a second time, but instead of just <laughs> moving past it, I made this big hole of, of apology and also it was dead awkward. Anyway, we got the hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really did. So, but anyway, back to you and your story because you have got you're not. You didn't go sober because of a drinking issue necessarily, did you? You didn't have any kind of underlying concern about your drinking or anything like that. You just happen to be sober now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, I'll give a brief a brief background because I know I've talked to you in the past, but I'm basically the fifth generation of alcoholics. 
So from my mum's side, my great grandmother, my uncle, my nan and my mum are all alcoholics and there's me. And I take after that side of the family so much, more so than my sister. So it was everyone in my family was always like, oh, that's how you're going to end up. You're going to be that way. And I was never, ever a big drinker anyway. Um, and I'm quite a small person, so I could never handle it anyway. Um, and I, it wouldn't take, my nickname was always like two gins Jen because I was like so drunk after two drinks. And I just decided, you know, that's not the path I want to go down. And I was also, I think I had a problem with alcohol in a different way because it made me so aware of the damage it can cause. And I was really scared and nervous and anxious that when I did drink, oh, maybe this will be the night that I turn into an alcoholic or maybe this will be the night that I drink too much and then can't stop. And it was almost the fear of that happening that really made me just decide, you know what, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. You've been stopped for over a year now, is that right? Um, I've been I've been sober on and off. I say that for about four years. Um, I had a drink on my wedding day, um, of course. Um, but <laughs> I had a I had a, a couple of Hindus, but I've never really drank like I used to when I was younger. I've I've special occasions, you know. I used to have a a Bailey's on Christmas Eve, and 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 that was pretty much it for the year. It's never been you know, a, a big night out. So I would say about four years now that I've really, really reined it in and slowed it down. It's so, it fascinates me now, right? Being, like, there would have been a time where I've got exactly the same thoughts as you. Like, of course, I'd have had a drink on my birthday, my wedding, blah, 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 blah. But it really fascinates me now. And I was having this conversation with my, um, she's, I call her my cousin. She isn't my cousin. But anyway, my cousin the other day, I was having That's this conversation with her. That. Every, yeah. Honestly, my neighbour's my auntie and I've known her my whole life, but she's definitely not my auntie. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, she's not my cousin, but we're having this conversation. I was like, well, she said, I just enjoy it. Just the odd one. And I'm like, but why? I can't get my head around it now. And I, I must, you know, I used to, I could never have the odd one anyway. And I know Lisa was the same. We just didn't see the point in that. Do you see a point in one? And, and I'm asking out of genuine curiosity, by the way, no, not out of... Judgment. Yeah, no, I don't. And, and actually, it was about, I think, it's about two Christmases ago. And I've always had this tradition of having a Bailey's on Christmas Eve, and it's always been something I've done. And for the last two years now, I've gone, I can't be bothered. Yeah. I've poured yeah. it and I've gone, I don't see the point. Like, what's the point? What you is know the what, point? Because it just doesn't, it makes no sense. Like, why, why does it have to be alcohol? Why can't I find a really nice, elderflower cocktail that's got an alcohol in it I can change it to instead like why does it have to be alcohol yeah Jen we found this Christmas from dry drinker they do an Irish cream non-alcoholic and it's just like Bailey's but honestly it's even nicer because realistically when you have Bailey's you like like the creaminess and what have you and the alcohol is kind of like oh you know it gives you a bit of a sugar so it's that without the sugar it's really really nice it is nice actually I keep forgetting about that but I bought a full crate of it yeah (laughs) and didn't drink them didn't drink them because I still got one in the fridge from Christmas so you know when this is like what we talk about a lot but you know when you say we drink for the taste of it or we like the taste of it so I've still got that Irish cream which I'm telling you is lovely and it's been in my fridge since Christmas like that would never have happened if it was alcoholic would it and it's relatives <laughs> and it's all its cousins and uncles from up north 
<laughs> we were down your neck of the woods the other day as you well know I know, while I did my- I know. I, do you know what it's been so long I've not been able to get down there for or up there even for about nearly well it'll be two years this summer that I've not Aww. been able to get back so it's been really difficult do you know I got bloody lost in the tunnels did I tell you that no right the Head Tunnel. <laughs> but no, right, there's a roundabout right in the centre where I needed to be on Dale Street, which I don't know whether you know the names of the street. Yeah. But anyway, I had to be on Dale Street. So I came down and it was like the fifth exit. And, inst- and I knew, I knew I was doing it wrong. And I just turned into the tunnel. And once you're in, that's a bloody long tunnel, isn't it? Yeah, it goes back in <laughs> yeah, so you know what she did, Jen? When I took her the day after and I was driving, we get in there and she's going, my sat-nav were telling me where to go. And she's going, I don't think you go this way. I think you should be going that way. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not really going to listen to you, am I? Because you got lost in a tunnel yesterday. <laughs> and I had to pay toll fees for somewhere I didn't want to be. And then I had to do the drive of shame round to the other side while they directed me in the free lane. It was so embarrassing. I know exactly where you were as well because that roundabout's got like... Oh, hundred exits and you just missed by one you missed it by one yeah I did I know and easy done easy but I didn't miss it the next time and Lisa didn't miss it either so there's there's just a non-relevant story about Liverpool (laughs) (laughs) anyway can we ask you about your kind of backstory because last week's podcast which Mm. is coming out this week actually but last week's recorded podcast as people listen now yeah was a mother and a son and it's really relevant they were both in recovery but it's really relevant because you you know above other stories that I've heard you know we've we've interviewed Kerry obviously I've got my own story Josh Lisa's got her own story but your story is quite a difficult one isn't it because you whereas with me my dad's no longer alive you're very much still living your story aren't you yeah still am yeah um so unfortunately I said I've lost my great-grandmother my uncle and my grandma um and my grandma died six years ago this year which was horrendous because none of us knew she was an alcoholic um she was a secret alcoholic so she drank of an evening when she went to bed and got it all out of her system then and then with we we I went round to her house one day and she was she looked like a Simpson she was yellow and I was like, what is going on? And she went to hospital and she died five days later. Wow. So it was it was a lot. But my mum is an alcoholic and my mum actually blamed me for her death at the hospital when she died. Oh, um, okay. And she turned up drunk at the hospital and, and it was all my fault and whatever. Um, my, nan, my nan and granddad had a massive influence in bringing me up because I lived with them for many, many years. So I think... I don't know why my mum drinks, but even now she tells me it's my fault. And every week I get something to say it's my fault or only it was about probably about a week ago. She was messaging me, telling me never to speak to her again. And she hates me and everything that's happening is my fault. And I'm 33, you know, I I live 200 miles away and I don't speak to her. And it's still it's still my fault. But the most challenging thing is my mum and dad are still together. So if I want to spend time with my dad, I have to also spend time with my mum. So it's really false situation that I'm thrown into consistently. And I have to, I have to just pretend that everything's okay all the time for the sake of, of, of my dad. So it's, um, it's hard. You've got a good relationship with your dad though, haven't you? I mean, we did a live a while ago. Yeah, I've got a good relationship with my dad. And he, the, the difficult thing with my dad is he, he will always put my mum first. 
mm. no matter what even if me and my I don't speak if I say oh you know I think I told you about the wedding I told my dad I wasn't inviting my mum to the wedding because I wasn't sure about what was going to happen and his response was if she doesn't come I don't come so did, did, did you invite him yeah because I knew my dad wouldn't come and then if my dad didn't come I knew my sister wouldn't come and if my sister didn't come I knew my granddad wouldn't come and it was just been I would have dad had no one there my mum's brother didn't come in the end um my uncle um so I would have had none of my family at the wedding so uh, did it play out okay or was it how you thought it'd go yeah it was I really I really made sure that I made the right decision so I didn't have my mum there the morning of the wedding um I didn't take her to pick my dress with me I didn't involve her in anything until the day because I thought the lead up to it is challenging as it is Mm. I don't want to put anything in the way that's going to make me feel any more insecure than I already do, you know, in, in life. So I made sure I made those decisions that day and made sure that I was in control. Um, and then kind of when I got the church situation out the way and uh, we got married in, in a chair in my family church where I grew up and I was the, I'm, I'm the fifth generation to get married there. So it was really important for me to do that. And I just thought, you know, once that's done, whatever she does then is, I don't care about it. It was about me and, and my husband in that moment. And the rest of the day was absolutely fine. But you you constantly think, what's she doing? Where is she? Who's she talking to? How much she drank? And, you know, obviously there is alcohol everywhere. We did have non-alcoholic options, but it's a wedding. You it's know? going to be there, yeah. And that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? It's, you're on high alert, aren't you, as a COA? Say that again. On, Lisa. I'm just saying it just must be so difficult that that you said then about you've got a good relationship with your dad, but that knowing what you said that if it came down to it, it would choose your mum. Like I can't even possibly imagine, Jen, how that must feel for you. Um, This stuff that like, you know, when like now that comes to me from my past the when I was a child and I kind of learned to deal with it so I just don't know how you do that now when that's going on all the time how do you I I don't I don't I don't deal with it very well at times and it's something that has is a continuous development for me and I was saying to my husband only a few days ago actually you know I I've never felt a priority for anybody I've never been in a position where I've gone do you know what I actually I confess to that person. And my husband does massively. My husband's extremely lucky in, in the sense that he's got an amazing relationship with his family and his family are incredible. And I've I've gained that, you know, in, in being with him as well. I've gained my, another family through that. And they're my support function as well. But, you know, you, you just constantly feel, I mean... It was, it's the whole thing of, you know, everyone says, oh, just cut throughout your life, but she's still my mum and this, she's still my dad. It's how it's so difficult to, to break that down and, and cut it so black and white like that. Um, but I think it's something that will continue to, to just to happen. Unfortunately, you know, I know, I know, and I've said it um, before, if the house was on fire, my mum would go back in for the alcohol before, before me or before my sister and my dad would go back in for her it's just it's that's always I just I've just known that that's just how it's been it's just never it's never been any different and I just I don't know any different it's just not fair is it 
Like, honestly, listening to you now, it makes me, you know, we've all got our own reasons for stopping drinking. Yeah. But it makes me so angry at alcohol. It makes me so angry that it's so widely available. It just makes me so angry that the help's not available. And, you know, it's people like you doing that amazing work with Nakua that's going to make such a difference. And I think it's incredible that you're choosing to do that when it would have been so easy to go down the same yeah. path as the mm-hmm. rest of your family. Yeah, I, ha- I had all the, the options there to pick up a drink and, you know, yeah. stay at in Liverpool and, and, and be in that, in that environment and, and, and do that life. But I just, I just didn't want it. And it, what, what really got me was when I saw, I wasn't really old enough at the time to see my grand, my great grandmother and my uncle pass away, even though I knew them, but, seeing my nan who I literally adored like she was practically my mom um and to see what her body went through and the physical damage that it does to you at the end it's just not worth it and you know I can't remember where I saw it but they should put images on alcohol bottles like they do with cigarettes that should be on there because your body just completely just falls to bits and it's such a slow and painful period of of your life when you drink too much and it's so available. It should be, there should be a huge warning sign around alcohol and there just isn't enough. And that's why I want to do the charity work because more people need to be informed because it's not fair. bloody quick as well, isn't it? Like I know Alex with your dad, but my stepdad, passed away through alcohol it it was his liver he he had a massive heart attack then his livers failed and then every single organ in his body failed and you know within a week Mm. in intensive care it it wasn't here anymore and I just think we don't see these things do we people or, or we do people do know it do we just block it out I think it's that though, Lisa. You know what? We imagine that everybody who dies of alcohol dies in the way that very much like Jen just described, then, you know, goes yellow and dies of liver failure. That's how we imagine it. But actually, the vast majority of the deaths are through stroke and heart disease. My dad's death certificate reads heart disease and then secondary cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. But actually, the, the cirrhosis and the alcohol caused the heart disease you know he he ultimately died of a heart attack Mm. there's no mention of alcohol on there at all but he spent his life drinking too much he really did Mm. and and like you with your grandma I idolized my dad he was he was he was my world you know he was a he was an amazing man he was talented he was he was so clever and funny and all Mm. of those things and you just think how how can this drug that just takes people and it doesn't, you know, we, we talk about being quick, it's quick at the end, but it, the moment they're addicted, it's yeah. taken them from you. You know, yeah. like you say, your mum put in alcohol before you. My my dad, I do believe it was, it was an amazing dad and I know he loved us, but he was addicted, you know, yeah. it, it, it came first. So you, versus going swimming on a Sunday morning or out on a Saturday night, it would have been out on a Saturday night. It, mm. it takes your family and your friends and your loved ones a long time before it kills them. Yeah. Me, it's how bloody normalised it is as well. You know, like with my with my stepdad, it was a landlord of a pub. 
So it was just accepted that, like, he died at 56. Like, I look at my mum now, who's just turned, oh, was she 58 last week, 59? I think she's been 58 for ages, it seems. <laughs> but I look, and she actually said, like, the other week, because my mum's sober now, which is amazing, but she was like, oh, my God, I'm older than Terry was, because, you know, he was quite a lot older than my, that's yeah. about 20 years older than my mum. But um, that realisation of how young he actually mm-hmm. was, 56, and it was alcohol, but because he was a landlord, everyone just thought it was like a normal yeah. thing. And yeah. cheers is, and cheers to them when oh, they go. Well, you know, I'm absolutely plastered. My dad was at Lisa's stepdad's funeral. They'd known each other a very, very long time. Yeah. And they were all in the pub afterwards getting drunk, mm-hmm. celebrating his life. It's like... It was yeah. awful. You know, I've not even thought about that for ages. But even then, I was 18 when that happened. And I got absolutely plastered. I didn't know any other way. I didn't... Mm-hmm. I just didn't... That is what you did. We had the funeral at the pub. Everybody came to the pub. I remember, like, really crying emotion. And I weren't... I'm not like You're still not. Really. I know I'm a bit more and more. No, I wouldn't really do Mind that. Mind you, she's better, to, she's better now. She was crying this morning over the warmth in our Get Fit session. There's another little story, but we'll talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just thinking about the funeral and how pissed I got at such a young age and how out of control I was. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just heartbreaking. I just think, honestly, Jen, the work that you're doing is so good. You're just such a... Lo- you don't deserve that you just don't and it makes me really sad but I don't I, I don't think anyone does and I I you know I wasn't unfortunately my circumstances and where the environment I was brought into you know it's it's unfortunate but I also have that choice myself yeah you know it's not I yeah like you said it's easier to go down that route but I'm also my own person and I had that decision to say do you know what I'm gonna like cut this now and say right that's the end of the streak I'm not gonna have that moving forward and I was really really lucky to meet the most amazing guy and he really has helped a part of that you know journey as well and he you know I think finding people like that and I've met amazing friends through him through his friendship group and you know they're so supportive every time I do something with Nakoa all of them are there like cheering me on and it's amazing to, to get to have that and I think if you surround yourself with people who are who are like that and put you and put yourself in those circumstances your mindset changes and then you just start thinking do you know what yeah that's it's a rubbish situation but that's their problem not mine and you start yeah. to then try and pick yourself up that way and it's not easy I'm you know it's, it's taken me an awful long time to get there but I think you've just got to keep keep trying and keep trying to do what's what's right really you know with the work you do in Nakoa is your yeah. are your family aware of what you're doing your sisters your mum your dad are they aware of what you're doing and how does that go down yeah my sister doesn't watch any of it um she we're very different and I think a lot of that is we're just very different people and she's very close with my dad's um more so than me I think and which is which is fine but I think she is very protective over him mm. so she doesn't like it if I say you know I know she's he's going to prioritize with mom and she's like no he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't and she's she's very shielded with that and my mom 
I don't know what she'd think, but I don't think she really cares what I do, to be honest. I, she's never really taken an interest in anything I do anyway. So why why this? Um, and my dad is 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 a complete in denial about the whole thing. He doesn't think she he knows she drinks too much, but he just doesn't think it's a problem because when she has a day where she's sober or not so but doesn't drink, everything's okay again. So he very much just sweeps it under the carpet and he doesn't really have any association with what, what I'm doing. Um, do they get on, Jen? When when your mum is drinking, do they? Is the relationship all right between your mum and your dad? No. To get on? No, um, it's an it's it's a really toxic environment. To be honest, um, it's not a nice place to be. It's so hard, isn't it? Because I really can empathise. You know, like I know that the things I say upset my mum. My mum mm. accepts that my dad had a drink problem. She fully accepts it, and. She knows the kind of past that we had as a family. Yeah. She accepts that. I, I know she holds some regret about a lot, well, a lot of regret about it. And, and you know, there's no hard feelings there. She can't change. Nobody can change yeah. the past no. and, and so on. And I find it incredibly difficult at times to talk about my dad simply because my mum's here and I don't want to put her through the pain of raising bad memories when actually she holds a lot of dear memories about my dad as well. And a lot of, you know, she... she she would say, you know, we did the best we could. We, we loved you. And it's all true. That is all true. They did do the best they could. They did love me. My mum does love me. All of those things. Yeah. And I find it hard to talk about still. And that's with, with the parent who was the drinker no longer alive. Yeah. I, I really struggled to to even empathise slightly with how that must feel for you trying to tell your story trying to raise awareness and you do hold a level of respect still you do it really yeah. you do yeah I do because you know they're still my parents at the end of the day um but I also know that I am I'm my own woman I'm like I'm I've got my own life and I need to make sure that I'm okay because my mental health has suffered for years you know I had an eating disorder um I still have a an on and off issue with food now you know because it's a level of control and I don't probably like to admit it but I do um you know I have a massive complex of how I look I've thrown complete tantrums before and not wanting to leave the house because I can't find anything to wear even though I'm a woman and I have loads of clothes um you know and I'm uh, you know I, I have I've hugely suffered and trying to say that to them and that the, and the reasons why I'm like that it's just my dad's very very much of a oh you know just just have a cup of tea and everything will be okay and it's he doesn't he's not an emotionally charged man he doesn't understand about the level of emotion that I need or the level the emotional support I need he he hasn't got to give and that's just that's just him he's just not like that at all did you relate to the roles you know the the family roles so like the enabler and the dependent yeah which which child are you um I'm I I like to solve everyone's problems. I like to, you know, I was always the one running in there. As soon as I heard the drawer open, I'd run in there, take the bottle off her and put it down the sink and think everything would be okay if I do it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if I ever heard them argue and I'd go down there and try and separate it and try and get involved, which I think is why I get the brunt of it because I'm always the one there fighting everyone's battles. Yeah, because I'm definitely 100% the hero child. I've been through different phases. I've definitely been, I I know this isn't a term, but I've been the dickhead as well. That definitely (laughs) isn't in the descriptions of which child it is. But I went through that in my 30s. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you know, like I, I really that that was the training. After that training on the family roles, you didn't want to go back, did you, Lisa? Did you not? No. Struggled. I did. I said I struggled with all the training, to be honest. I think right. not. Yeah. Um, not really for this podcast (laughs) not really for any specific reasons either I'm not trying to put her on the spot but the point is that the the the, um the training's actually quite difficult isn't it because it brings out emotions and feelings that you didn't even know were there I think when you go through it as a as a as a CLA I think you know you think you know yeah the ins and outs and then you do the training and then all these words come up and then you start labeling yourself which i think can be quite dangerous because yeah you then start coming up with all these names and all these labels start coming you think oh god that's me and you know am, am i ready to be a volunteer or am i ready to do the training and i think because of those labels even though they're, they're true and they're, and they're just delivering the message and everything on there was amazing i think it can it can bring up triggers that you potentially didn't think that were there um yeah because you start putting yourself into pockets. You it's know. about questioning as well, I think. I think that's why I struggled. I started questioning so yeah. many things that I'd not questioned before and I wasn't really ready to mm-hmm. to kind of delve into all of that. You don't um, see it necessary delving either, do you, Lisa? No, really? not really. I'd kind of, I, we'd gone on the training for to kind of help our members, and yeah. so you know, so we could point people in the right direction. And what um, that is, what I found really difficult is rather than me kind of focusing on what I wanted to go on the training for, I started really kind of going into myself and what had happened and how much I could relate with certain things, and I was just. <laughs> like you know what I'm I'm not I don't want to do that that that's not for me because every time I come away I feel sad mm. miserable, and I'm go- and I'm going back over and over and over things whereas I definitely don't do that Josh would say I'm a masker and I like mm. to mask all these things but I'm happy doing that that's fine that's good for me I'm happy doing <laughs> <laughs> it works you keep going <laughs> but yeah, we, had, yeah. we had whole conversations around it afterwards and I was like, like this one session left just just comes to one session and then you trained and you're done but it was everything and for both of us this you know mm. like you start when you learn about the roles of the family roles not only do you start to look back on your own past which is different for everybody and you might say every parent drinks too much I don't know Um, but you also start to look at yourself as a parent and I think that's what's really challenging and you know you start to go oh well have I made my child turn into that role and that role and that role and it's really hard to think you know it's it is hard but then again you know like Josh says every family has a level of dysfunction there's, there's more families have dysfunction yeah. than not. Yeah, I think for me it was the um, when I kind of realised my dad came under the codependent label. Yeah, and then that really hit home for me because I I I didn't really know why he was the way he was, and then when they started reading all that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is my dad. Like he's he's just in complete denial. He likes to if my mom has a good day he it's like everything is fine it's like nothing has ever happened and no one said any bad words or she's never drank it's like everything's okay again until she drinks again and then it's oh don't worry it'll be fine she'll sleep it off and it'll be fine tomorrow and I think putting my dad dad in that category was 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 a big one for me it's funny isn't it you know um 
it's a little bit different, but not, but I was married to an alcoholic and I actually even relate to that because you know, we it, we would get. To, I used to dread weekends. I'd be like, "Oh, mm. it's gonna, it's coming to a weekend. It's gonna be awful. It's gonna kick off. This thing's gonna happen." And then it would, and then on Monday it would be like, "You would just try and does your dad drink? No, does he not? Because no. I well, used to like, kind he has of, like a, a beer every now and then, but not. Yeah. But he doesn't help himself because he." And this is what really infuriates me about the situation. If we go and visit for the weekend or if we go down for Christmas or Easter, he's got vodka, gin, all all laid out in the kitchen cabinet. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're literally advertising her to drink more. Like, And then even if we go to family functions or whatever, it's like, oh, she's only having one. It's like, she shouldn't be doing that. Like, she's got a problem. (laughs) She shouldn't, you know, we've been to weddings and stuff and she's got herself into right states where she's not gone the bathroom and gone all over the floor and we've had to take her home. And and even then it's like, oh, yeah, but she's only having one. It's like, it doesn't matter whether she has one or a hundred. She's an alcoholic. She shouldn't be drinking at all. Like you shouldn't be advertising for her to, or encouraging her to do that. It's, I almost feel for dad, it's like, he'll put it out. So she drinks it and then goes to bed and then leaves him alone. It's almost yeah. like that's, yeah. that's his coping mechanism. And that's a bit what you were getting at there, isn't it? A little bit. It's almost on the same thing, Lisa. If you just kind of join in or enable, whatever it is, the term, I don't know what the term is, no. join in. If you can't beat them, join them. And that's what my mum used to say as well. Yeah. It's an easier life, isn't it? Because it's, it ultimately... Is, it's so hard. Yeah. It's yeah. so, so difficult to live with somebody that drinks too much. Yeah. It's, and ultimately, no matter what, somewhere underneath the drink is the person and the person is still there somewhere you know like I say with my dad he was a talented man he was he was funny he was you know so it might be hard for us to find that but your dad must have fallen in love with somebody yeah yeah and they were very young my mum was 19 when they got married and when she had me so they were quite young but and that but that's why she says she drinks it's because I was born. That's that's her oh, reason. Jen. So it's 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 I know that and I think because it's a lot of people say to me, Oh, they don't mean it, they're drunk, like it's, it she doesn't mean it, blah blah blah. But she's drunk all the time and she always says it. So for me it's like, well, maybe she does mean it. Maybe she was too young to have children, maybe it wasn't the right time. But I always I also think, yeah, that that might be true, but you know, you don't need to keep telling me. <laughs> there, was, there, was a, there was a situation, and I'll never forget, and this was what really broke me, I think, was when we were, I was in, uh, out with a works night out years ago. I was about, probably about 20, 20 21 at the time, and my mum was on her Christmas night out with the school she works in, and I, I we were in separate functions, and my dad said, oh, I'll, I'll pick you up because I was never one for staying out till four in the morning. I was like, pick me up at midnight with a McDonald's and a hot water bottle, please. <laughs> um, so and my mum went home the same time. At the same, so I said, well, why don't you just pick us both up at the same time, make life easier and whatever. You know, we're both home safe. So, okay. So I walked to get my mum. And as I walked in the bar, I was like waving at her. And I said, the girl next to her, I didn't know she, she worked with my mum at the time. And she said, oh, this someone's here to see you. Yeah. And she turned around and said, I think it's your daughter. And she turned around and looked at me and said, I've only got one daughter, me and my sister. And I was like, what the hell? 
I hadn't hadn't spoken to her. I hadn't seen her all day. We'd left the day before Vermont, I thought, on pretty much like, you know, normal terms. There was nothing, no crossword said. And I said, come on, mum, we've got to go. And then she was like, I don't want to go with her. I hate her. She's not my daughter. And it was just so, I just couldn't believe it. And I was like, I can't believe you just said that. Like, that's just (sighs) complete. And then from that point on, I knew or I know that she probably did mean it. She probably has some sort of feelings towards me because she had me young and it might have ruined her. Did she have postnatal depression, Jen? I'm not like... See, this, I don't know. I side me, I look for reasons, right? <laughs> so I'm like, there's got to be like... Did, because that could be a thing, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The only, the only, the only reason I don't think that was... A thing is because my sister was born 18 months later. Yeah. And they have, relatively, when they were younger, they had a really good relationship. And my, so we lived with my grandparents when I was born. And then my mum and dad moved out and I stayed. And then they had my sister. Um, And and the reason being that is they, they wanted a fresh start. Basically, that was the reason. Oh. Do you think maybe... You know, as you've got older, the fact that you've challenged it, the fact that you haven't just accepted what's gone on has made the relationship difficult. I mean, what I'm getting at is, did you ever have a nice relationship with your mum or has it always been quite strained? Yeah, I mean, it's always been, I think it's always been quite forced. Um, I mean, as you said, you know, she there is moments when she do, she is nice. You know, she is a nice person. Um, and there was moments when we were younger where we had really good days um and you know she was my mum but then it just didn't mean much because in the evening she just drank again so it was almost like she was just trying to get through the day to then go home and drink um I don't know I think I love my mum because she's my mum and I think there is some sort of level there is a there is a connection there but at the same time I know her priorities don't lie with with me and I, and I know that and that's, a, and that's, that's a fact. It's been 33 years and, you know, I can't remember the last time she said happy birthday to me or called me on my birthday or made any sort of effort. It's always me having to make the effort with them. Have you ever thought of like, just, uh, have you ever tried this? Or not, but just literally cutting yourself off from yeah. the body. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's difficult because I'm quite a family orientated person and it's, mm. it's very difficult to, to do that. Cause even though I know my feelings, my dad's feelings towards my mom, I can't let go of that relationship because that's all I have with my family and my sister. I'm really close with my sister, like really, really close. Um, and I just know if I did that, I know I would lose it. So it is hard. It's so hard. You know, people that the saying blood thicker than water, it's been twisted over the years. And, it, yeah. you know, like people stay loyal to your family, stay loyal to your family. But genuinely, what you're describing is just an example of blood being thicker than water in that, you know, you don't want to let go of the good bits. You don't want to cut yourself off because of something that you've, you haven't got any control over anyway. I get it. It yeah. must be incredibly difficult. Yeah. I, I saw them at the weekend, actually. Um, I haven't seen them for a couple of, well about a year nearly and I was so anxious about going we met in a we met halfway at a park in Birmingham and I was so anxious it was ridiculous and I was going there and my husband kept saying to me are you okay and I was like I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I just didn't know how she was going to turn off or what state she was going to turn off in but even to the point where 
I'd arrange this day to meet and every week for the last six weeks she's messaged me saying to not speak to her again she's cancelling she doesn't want to come she doesn't want to see me and it's like you're you're not making this any easier I'm really trying to like make it as normal as it can be and my dad and I messaged my dad saying listen if she doesn't want to come just don't bring her I'd rather just her not be there and and make the situation worse and then he messaged back to say I'm making the situation worse because I'm telling him what she's saying and now they've had an argument because of what I've said. It's so So bad. It's just like, I can't, I can't really just, I can't just do that. So I have to just try and keep it as as neutral and just let her attack me and then just not respond and just try and ignore it as best I can. That's what I meant at the beginning when I say you're living your story still. These things have happened to lots of people that they can almost draw a line under because somebody's not alive anymore or because they've cut tight or whatever the reason, but you are really living it. I mean, the work you do for Nicoa now, just just kind of before we wrap up, what if, if anybody is listening who, as an adult, is a COA and going through what you're going through or has been through it as a child, you know, what what can they do? What what do you think they should be doing? Do they get therapy? Is there anywhere they go to? What do you think? I think I think talking about it is massive. And, and you know, when I was younger, I don't know if I've said this to people, but in primary school, my mum was a teacher in my school. So there was no one for me to really talk to because she was there. So it was really difficult for me to be heard by people. So I think if you can speak to someone, then definitely reach out because I think now, especially, especially nowadays, there's so much more about it with, you know, the Be Sober charities and if there's loads of other charities that are out there at the moment, which are doing, which are creating a lot more awareness. And I think the more we can do that, the more people will be able to go, okay, we can help. But I think talking about it and voicing how you feel because the feelings that they're having are completely valid. And it doesn't matter if they're your mum, your dad, your sister, uncle, brother, whatever. If they're making you feel uncomfortable or making you feel sad, then talk about it. It's so important to talk about it to anyone who will listen. Whilst we're on this, and this is just for people who are listening, um, if you do feel after this episode triggered in any way, we do have a Be Sober affiliated counsellor on our website who specializes in trauma um, she's called Lynn and if you visit the website and go look under coaches and counselors you will find access to her information there um, and we'll also put links on the podcast to Nakoa um, Jen will put your links on as yeah. well if you want to send us those because I know you've always said if anyone wants always. to get in touch you're happy to talk to them absolutely yeah a problem shared is a problem halved yeah, it's a good way, it's a good way to be, and and I've absolutely loved working with you over the last seven weeks and getting to know you more. And this is kind of the second thing, the third thing we've done together now. Yeah, so it's, um, it's really lovely, and and it's good to see you and yeah. you share your story in a really humble way. Um, and yeah. you don't deserve it, but like you said, who does? So no one um, does. And and I think you know the more I share it, the more if I can only help one person or if anyone can relate even just to make them think that they're not on their own just to even think it even if they don't do anything about it that's just so important to know that thank Thank you so much much. i forgot to show you i printed off my (laughs) 
Beating the label for my <laughs> to stick on my shirt. <laughs> Let me just tell you that last night when we were talking on the training, I love it. Jen said, "Oh, don't worry, I've got my. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I wear a t-shirt, but I haven't bought my t-shirt yet, so I am going to put my logo yes. on." I didn't actually think you'd do it, Jen. That's oh, that's yeah. so cute, Jen. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'm all about the merch. Okay, if you can advertise on a t-shirt, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's, that's like a really good end of that one <laughs> really good and for anybody who does want to be sober t-shirt get on the website and check the shop out yeah <laughs> buy all the merch <laughs> thanks so much Jen and thanks for coming on again it's been lovely no. speaking to you yeah and it's nice to actually meet Lisa as well I've not actually met you before so it's lovely no, to meet no, you as well no I know it's really lovely I've kind I of watched that. live and seen everything that you've done so I feel like I have done but no yeah. I haven't so yeah thank you <laughs> just pleasure. hang on back at the end and we'll have a quick chat but thank you so much for coming on thank you, you so later. much bye, bye everyone